What a matchup. And what a tee, Mike. Metro PCS and the iPhone SE for $0 on a network that covers 99% of people in the U.S. Oh, impressive. Play with the best. Switch to Metro PCS on an unlimited LTE plan and get a 32 gig iPhone SE for $0. Metro PCS. Coverage not available in some areas, plus sales tax. Claim based on talk and text. Not valid for active numbers currently on the T Mobile network or active on Metro PCS in the past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Dr. Jared Fisher. He is a forensic neuropsychologist and the chairman of the National Academy of Neuropsychology Foundation. He is currently spearheading a project to educate families about traumatic brain injuries often suffered by active duty military. Dr. Fisher's extensive professional career includes the founding of innovative businesses, collaborative works, articles, publications, consultation, and speaking engagements at the leading edge of neuropsychology. He is also a leader in support of many community-based projects and charities. Dr. Fisher and I will be having a conversation about his passion in helping military children cope with a brain-injured parent. Good morning, Dr. Fisher. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? Oh, good morning, Johnny. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm doing great and uh, looking forward to our hour of interesting discussion about the book, My Dad Got Hurt, What Can I Do? Fantastic. It is a pleasure to have you on the air this morning. Please allow me to thank you for your awesome work with our military families. It is people like you and your contributions that makes America great. Thank you so much. I believe strongly in, in what our military does for us, and it's the least we can do to give something back to uh, the, the fighting folks and their children as well. Their families are so important. Wonderful. Let us start by getting to know you a little bit better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. Okay, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah, I, I was born and raised uh, in Houston, Texas, so I'm a Texan. Uh, but uh, my, my mom and dad, who were both psychologists, uh, decided uh, when I was in my Wonder Bread years to make a move up to upstate New York, where I took on a full professorship of psychology. So I went along. I didn't have a choice. So gave up the, the sun and the, and the heat for the cold and the snow. Uh, and I went to public school in Syracuse. And then uh, the first chance I got, I got, I got out of Dodge and went down to North Carolina, went to Duke University, where I was going to be a marine biologist. Uh, and I decided, uh, even though Jacques Cousteau at the time was my uh, uh, hero, decided after a couple of sleepless nights at sea at three in the morning with formaldehyde and being seasick that that wasn't for me. So uh, I, I decided maybe move on to something that uh, kept me off the ocean, except as a hobby, you know, go scuba diving yeah. when I had free time. And so I moved into the field of psychology and uh, decided to go back up to Rochester, New York to do my graduate work because I figured the weather would keep me out of trouble. I wouldn't be like at University of Miami and diving and partying. So I went up to U of R and vowed that as soon as I got my PhD, I would leave town and go to a warm climate. Uh, obviously, I'm still here, so that didn't work out. Uh, but I, uh, I, I actually, uh, in the course of my graduate studies, became very interested in the human brain and in understanding how damage and injuries to the brain affect the way people think, act, and behave. 
Uh, and uh, so I, I, I took that interest. And actually, for many years, uh, I was actually the chief executive officer of a company that built brain injury rehabilitation programs around the state of New York and one in Pennsylvania to actually rehabilitate people who had had very significant brain injuries, such as in traffic accidents or in assaults or falls. And uh, about 20 years ago, uh, I moved out of that business and then moved into consulting, uh, which is what I've done ever since. And basically what I do now is I'm a diagnostic consultant on uh, all kinds of matters involving interesting uh, high-profile crimes, as well as civil matters in which brain injuries uh, are believed potentially to have a role in uh, you know, either the fact that someone was hurt, uh, falling outside of a building or getting in a traffic accident, or actually believing that the, the brain injury that someone had may have affected the way that they behaved in, with the respect of violating the law and committing mm-hmm. very serious felonies. So it's been an interesting career for me, and uh, that's a little more than the Reader's Digest, but hopefully you know, <laughs> not, not too long-winded. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Certainly not at all. When you were a teenager, obviously your parents were psychologists. Who were your influences besides them? And, and indeed, they were very important influences, uh, and they really led by example. My parents never you know, said, you mm-hmm. have to do this. They just led by example. But I will say that I had a number of teachers uh, over the years. I had a sixth-grade teacher, Mr. Cliff, who was a wonderful inspiration and, and uh, you know, at a young age. And then later, when I was in high school, I had um, a number of teachers uh, that I remember with great fondness and who had the ability to, to, to look into me and to tell me, what their understanding was and what course they saw me following in my life. I had one English teacher, uh, for instance, Miss Casberger, who I had for two years, and she told me that she felt like I was going to do well in public speaking and that, you know, I mm-hmm. had a career in reaching out to the public. And at the time, I had no concept of what she was talking about. But I, I, uh, I have to say, uh, I know she's now gone, uh, but I, I wish uh, that I could have a conversation with her now because she was a true uh, inspiration to me and helped me help guide me along to where I am today. Fantastic. This is a psychology joke. It just reminded me the fact that you were a psychologist, and of course your parents were in psychology. The movie analyzed this. So do you get a lot of, how does that make you feel, son? Oh, <laughs> Questions yeah, indeed. And, yeah, and when I was younger, <laughs> uh, people used to always say to me, you know, can you tell me, can you analyze me? And, you know, I mean, it was uh, kind yeah. of a, and I, and I think even today, I think because of what I do, people probably think that I am analyzing them. And I tell them that when I'm not on the clock, I'm not working. I'm just like everybody else. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I just thought I'd mention that because that movie, I think, really made a big thing about being a psychologist and people and so forth. And, and in a funny way. So, oh, so it, it was kind of fun. <laughs> no, absolutely. And, and I think people uh, are kind of curious about what their psychological makeups are all about mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, want to know more about what makes them uh, tick the way that they do. Right, right. Obviously, you made a sort of a really focused shift to neuropsychology. When does that really got your attention from the academic standpoint yeah. of view? Because you have a passion for it, a tremendous passion for it. I do, and that's a great question, Johnny. I'll tell you that when I first started studying my graduate work at the University of Rochester, one of the early questions that they would ask us is, uh, and not to get too highfalutin here, but the question mm-hmm. used to be functional or is this organic? And by that question, they meant did the, did the problem that the person was presenting with in our clinic, was it due to brain damage or was it due to some mental issue? 
And so early on, I thought to myself, as I looked at the curriculum in my graduate studies, I thought, you know, there's not much in here about the brain. There's not, mm-hmm. I see a lot of stuff about psychopathology and, you know, various psychological and mental illnesses, but I don't see, like, I don't see a course on cutting the human brain and learning the anatomy. And I, and so at an early, at an early point in my career, I went over to the medical school, which was right adjacent to where I was going to graduate school. And I made friends with a, a full professor there of neurology and under his tutelage and guidance and mentorship, I, I then took the medical school courses on brain, brain cutting, brain neurology, et cetera, because it became, again, it was very clear to me, how can I answer questions about organic, meaning the brain, if I don't mm-hmm. really understand it? So from an earlier, uh, early point of my career, and this was before specialized programs had evolved as there are today for students, I had the opportunity to study with some of the top uh, physicians in neurology and, and, and in psychiatry at the University of Rochester, and I learned all about the human brain. I learned all about how if you, you know, put a, an injury to this part of the brain, this is how the behavior was. This is how things changed. And, and I became fascinated by it because it was so intriguing to me to see, you know, somebody who had, say, an injury to their frontal lobe, which is the front part of your brain, would suddenly become a different person. You know, they would have one personality, and then they would have this injury, and they would have a different personality. Or a, a lesion in another part of their brain, they literally would deny that half of their body belonged to them. And they would say, wow. you know, you could hold their left arm in front of them, and they'd say, whose arm is that? So it was just mm-hmm. fascinating to me to see that and to couple that with my study of mental illness and to understand that you really needed to know both, in my opinion, to answer those early questions that I was being asked in my studies and in my clinical work. And, and so then after that, it just took off. I mean, I just, I, I, I love the human brain. I love understanding how the brain functions uh, and how it doesn't function. Mm-hmm. So I've really mm-hmm. spent the last 35 or 40 years of my career doing that. And I've had exposure to so many interesting cases. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I've just, I, I've been blessed with a fascinating career. Very, very interesting. How do you diagnose a traumatic brain injury? Well, good question. And, you know, diagnosing sometimes, is, of course, it's, it's you know, I, I, I hesitate at my medical humor, humor here, but sometimes yeah. it's no-brainer, meaning that it's, it's, so in, it's so severe that there's no question that there was a brain injury, right? The person was in a coma for many days or weeks, and there was bleeding in the brain. In those cases, we know there was a traumatic brain injury, and then my role there is to diagnose how bad was the injury. What did it do to the functioning, to the intellectual functions, to the personality? Where it becomes more complex is when the injury is less severe, where maybe mm-hmm. there isn't any obvious bleeding to the brain. And so then the diagnosis really gets into a much more detailed kind of analysis of the, the, the things that happened to the person at the time of the injury, understanding who the person was before they got hurt, and then using a series of systematic tests that we give that mm-hmm. give us information about how that person's functioning. So it's a, my evaluations, just to give you some idea, take two full days. And people mm-hmm. will say, well, why does it take you so long? And I said, well, probably it should take me longer. The human brain is so complicated. How can somebody do an analysis in five hours? I mean, your brain deserves mm-hmm. more analysis than that. You need two days to really get inside your head and understand if you have been injured, 
what are the consequences of that injury? How, how is it affecting you? Right, right. I think the interesting part about traumatic brain injury is that from a layman's standpoint of view, we tend to think about accidents, whether it's automobile and, of course, we're going to be talking about military families and so forth. But isn't traumatic brain injury can be caused by cancer of the brain where well, you have to yeah. basically extract a huge portion of the brain matter and so forth? Yeah. Yeah, let me just let me elaborate on that. Traumatic, of course, means that there's been some mm-hmm. trauma to the brain. So typically that is in an accident uh, or a, a bullet wound or, a, or a, mm-hmm. a knife or something like that that goes in the brain. Tumors, like you're talking about, or bleeding, strokes, there's lots of, you know, or, or dementias, mm-hmm. They, mm-hmm. they also cause brain damage, but they're not, they're, they're traumatic in the sense that they're psychologically traumatic, but mm-hmm. they are not they are not classified as traumatic brain injuries, but your point is well mm-hmm. taken. Some of the most interesting research that's been done on how behaviors change from, from uh, brain injuries have been done by uh, scientific labs that look at people, for instance, who have had brain tumors, where they mm-hmm. have gone in and removed specific areas of the brain and then observed how that changed that individual, how their behavior becomes you know, radically different than the way the person was before that brain tumor and before they had to remove those portions of the brain, for instance, that control, say, your temper or your impulse mm-hmm. control. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, brain injuries encompass this huge umbrella of potential disorders. Uh, and traumatic brain injuries are just one part of that a whole umbrella of disorders that can affect the way someone thinks, acts, and behaves because of damage to their precious brain. Right, right. And the reason I brought it up, it just reminded me I had a client at one time that I was working with. She was in the military. However, she had a brain injury, in this case, I guess, in terms of classification, whether it's traumatic or not, like, say, based on explosion and whatnot. She actually has a cancerous tumor. This was quite interesting, Dr. Fisher. How they found out that she has a brain injury was because she's never been a vulgar person, in other words, yes. and or very short-tempered. One day when she was going out to a grocery store, and she said, here I'm standing in line, and I get so aggravated hearing this child crying, and I'm starting to curse at the mom, the cashier, and everybody around me. She's not the person that she used to be. It's like she flipped. Later when they found out, she has this huge tumor, and thank God they managed to get rid of it. And then she got into the situation where it messes up her motor skills. She's able to walk and function now and so forth. But it was funny, like the right foot knows how, if you say lift your foot a foot off the, the ground, and she would, the other foot, on the other hand, like her mind thinks it's a foot, but the leg only moves about six inches. And she would stumble and stuff like that. Yeah, what, I think, Johnny, what you were describing is she probably had a tumor located that was affecting her frontal lobes. Uh, and the mm-hmm. frontal lobes have multiple roles. And one of those I just want to emphasize, because this will be something we'll talk about later when we get into the military yeah. uh, uh, issues. But uh, the, the frontal lobes are basically the great brake pads in your brain. So their job is to basically tamp down more primitive impulses that reside in deeper areas of your brain that are more animalistic, you know, aggressive impulses. Mm. And so what you see sometimes, and your friend was a perfect example of this, where she had a tumor that was affecting the ability of the frontal lobes 
to put the brakes on those impulses. So, you know, many times we all think about things we'd like to say to somebody or maybe even things we want to do to somebody, but, right. but we don't because our frontal lobes tamp down those impulses. And so what happened to your friend was that her tumor lowered the threshold for her. She no longer could put the brakes on as she did before. And, mm. and so that's why she saw the behavior change. And it happened to also be probably when they did the surgery to remove the tumor, they probably also impacted some of the fibers that controlled motor functions. That's right. why she had trouble because those areas are close to each other in the brain. Mm-hmm. So that's why mm-hmm. you had the motor change as well as the personality change, uh, you know, with, with that tumor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. It just kind of dawned on me, and I wanted to bring it up since you brought up a very interesting okay. array that brain injury is huge. You cannot just like, oh, okay, yeah, that's it. You have flu or something like that. Oh. It, it's more than no. that. No, and I wanted to, another point you made that I'm glad you just reminded me of was also you pointing out that your friend, you know, had a minor injury, and then they discovered this brain tumor. We see that right. more times than you'd be surprised in many cases I've been involved with. So somebody gets into a minor accident, they get a concussion, and then they go in and get a scan, and lo and behold, they find a tumor or some other brain disease, mm-hmm. a multiple sclerosis. And so a lot of times it's, it's fascinating how someone might have had subclinical symptoms or symptoms that people were not paying much attention to, and then they get an accident, and they get attention to their brain, and they discover something much more pernicious, like you described with your friend. Yeah, yeah. And in this case, like I say, she was realizing that, hey, this is not me. I don't act like this. And so just somehow she was able to get a scan and then realize, like, oh, wow, there's really something wrong with me. Exactly. And I think when people see that, that, uh, that someone they love or someone they know is not acting the way they typically do, you know, that there are personality changes. Mm-hmm. While there could be various causes for that, one cause that you need to think about is that there might be something wrong with the person's brain. Uh, and that needs to be addressed, particularly, you know, if the behavior problems become, you know, very disruptive, which likely mm-hmm. they will. I mean, if you become antisocial, you're going to start making bad choices. And you're not going to get along or treat people the way you, you, you did. And uh, that's mm-hmm. going to be you know, very noticeable. W- one of the things we do see, Johnny, and we see this with our veterans as well as people who are civilians, is that they yeah. can get very significant brain injuries and then get in trouble with the law. I mean, they actually start right. committing crimes that before they never committed a crime in their life. So, you know, we need to be aware of those things in, in uh, reaching out and trying to help uh, not only civilians but veterans as well. Right, right. So true. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest is Dr. Jared Fisher. He's a forensic neuropsychologist and the chairman of the National Academy of Neuropsychology Foundation. He's currently spearheading a project to educate families about traumatic brain injuries often suffered by active duty military. Dr. Fisher and I are having a conversation about his passion in helping military children cope with a brain-injured parent. Dr. Fisher, is PTSD considered as a brain injury? A good question, Johnny. Actually, post-traumatic stress disorder, which uh, may often occur, for instance, in someone who's been in combat or been in a terrible car accident or you know has been abducted and held mm-hmm. hostage, there are a variety of situations where uh, those traumatic reactions may happen for people. They, that is not considered a brain injury, but very often you may see post-traumatic stress symptoms in someone who's had a brain injury. 
And whether you've had both or not, sometimes the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder can mimic some of the symptoms mm-hmm. that you see with a brain injury. You can see changes in concentration, changes in memory, uh, even changes in behavior. Sometimes uh, people with PTSD can become very aggressive and irritable. So while they're not the same, there is definitely overlap between the two disorders. Very interesting. In diagnosing an issue with the brain, how has that evolved over the years? Because like you were talking about right here, it seems like this one side of the equation is strictly a psychological issue, and the other one is like literally much more complex. Is there such a treatment for that? I'm trying to think you're looking at the left and the right side of the equation here. Yeah, well, of course, we also look at the left and right side of the brain because, as you know, mm-hmm. even though you have one brain, you actually have more than one brain because the left side of your brain and your right side of your brain do different things. And if you were to do surgery, which they sometimes do on people, where they actually cut the connections between the two brains, the left brain mm-hmm. and the right brain, people will actually begin behaving in, in ways that uh, one side of the body is trying to keep the other side of the body from doing something, So, which is quite fascinating. Um, but the the diagnosis of brain injuries to get back to your question mm-hmm. you know it's 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 changed over the years because obviously with 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 all the technology we have with scanners and so forth it's fairly easy in many instances to see a change structurally or metabolically on a scan the the, the place that we come in as neuropsychologists is we look at what are the implications for that injury so fine you your scan shows you have a lesion uh, you know, use a big word here, orbital medial mm-hmm. cortex of your brain. Well, what does that mean? Okay, fine. I have, a, I have a lesion in the orbital medial cortex, but neuropsychologists, tell me what does that mean? Do, do, work me up and evaluate me and help me understand what does that mean that I have a lesion there? How is that going to change the way I behave? What, what treatments might I have to think about to remedy the resulting changes in my behavior? So, so that's where the diagnosis becomes much more fascinating, in my opinion, when you mm-hmm. have to tease out not just that there's damage somewhere, but how does that damage come out on an everyday basis? And, right. and then how, how, do we, how can we or do we treat it? And how do we understand it? You know, many people mm-hmm. who have significant brain injuries have huge marital issues because the, right. the injury is not a visible injury. You know, when you have a brain injury, it, you can look like, a, like you did before your injury. And so people will look at you and go, well, why are you acting so differently? You look like you always did. You know, you don't have a, you right. don't have a droopy eye. You don't have a paralysis. You're not missing a limb. And so you know, people don't often understand why someone who has a significant injury seems so different when they look exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very true. When did you get involved with the military families? When did you find out the acute challenges that the military families face with traumatic brain injury? Well, a couple of years ago, I got contacted by uh, the, there's, there's a group of military um, lawyers in the state of New mm-hmm. York where I live. And they asked me if uh, I would start lecturing, uh, which I agreed to do for, for no cost because of my belief in the military, I did it pro bono. If I would start educating lawyers about the clients they had who were uh, veterans who were getting in trouble with the law because of potential injuries they had sustained in, in the service of their country. And so I started um, lecturing around the state of New York to these lawyers who, mm-hmm. again, were representing uh, our uh, veterans in criminal court. 
And yeah. that's when I, when I began to get very interested in it because I started to hear stories and started to get cases referred to me by these lawyers where I saw our veterans who, who went off things so the rest of us could live the kind of lives we live. And then we're coming home and getting in trouble with the law. Right. Uh, and, you know, as I began to explore that, I saw all the other implications for that, meaning that, you know, a lot of times they came home, they had children, they had wives, they had husbands, and this was disrupting every aspect of their life. So yeah. over the last few years, I decided I wanted to do something to, uh, to uh, besides just lecturing lawyers, I wanted to do something that could reach directly out to the families, which is what prompted me to work with a, with a great team to write the book, My Dad Got Hurt, What Can I Do?, and to target mm-hmm. the children. Right. Because in my opinion, while we have a person who has a brain injury and we have their spouse, if, if they're mm-hmm. married, their children are collateral damage. I mean, you're an eight-year-old. That's right. You're an eight-year-old boy or girl, and your mom or dad comes home, and they aren't the same person they were before they went away. And what what did I do wrong that dad's so irritable now with me, or that mom is behaving differently? Uh, and that's why we we thought, you know, let's let's get this book out to children, so that it begins a conversation for mom and dad and the child to begin to talk about all these changes that can happen, unfortunately. After a traumatic injury or a blast to the brain. That's true. I mean, what you guys are doing is just fantastic. I, I think what's a shame is that we're not hearing about this on primetime news. No, I, I agree. And, and in, even with this book, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I'm thankful that we're getting the kind of publicity, you know, from folks like mm-hmm. you who are interested in it and, and doing the kind of promo. But, you know, you would think that this kind of book would be, you know, everywhere because, you know, again, we're giving it away. So we're not making any money on it. We, we just yeah, want to help our military. Um, but, you know, there, you, you know, we have an interesting culture and, you know, that would be a whole other show that we could talk about. Why do the, right. you know, if you watch the news, most of the stuff on the news is bad news. It's not good news. Mm-hmm. It, here, yeah. here in Rochester, we have a one minute at the end of our ABC news, uh, nightly news, they have one minute called the bright spot. So the other 29 minutes are all bad news. <laughs> and then there's, you know, there's one minute of good news, and you know, we That's probably right. all yeah. use the more good news in the culture. Probably all uplift us a little bit more. But that's uh, right. Yeah, I, I, I. But that's a whole other conversation, isn't it, Johnny? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with you, and that's a shame because people need to know about it. It's interesting because you brought up the fact that okay, here someone's affected by the traumatic brain injury, and a lot of times you do see a situation. And I'm glad you were involved because you are definitely the expert in this because it is true. You got say a John Doe that comes back, and all of a sudden he's a badass. Now yep. he may be a badass since he was born. So maybe you can't maybe. use that yep. as an excuse. But now when you have a nuclear family, it's like the good old days nuclear family. And then all of a sudden something happened and you have a baseline to work with. That's right. That's right. That's correct. It's yeah. so true. And that's one of the things that I've seen. You know, I, I can tell you I'm involved with 10 cases right now where we mm-hmm. have a baseline where this person was not ever in trouble. They were good people. Yeah. They were doing their jobs. They were living their lives, these injuries, and then they got in trouble with the law. And that's a baseline. Yeah. I mean, that's the perfect word you're using. You know, yeah. you have a baseline. And mm-hmm. by the way, going back to your example about the badass, I mean, even yeah. in that case, maybe maybe it's worse now 
You know what I oh, mean? Oh yeah, maybe, sure. Maybe <laughs> you know. So yeah. so that's why we. Ha- but I think your point is we have to evaluate each case on a case by case basis. We're not making excuses right. for people, but right. we are offering some understanding, and we should do that for our military. You know. Mm-hmm. If you go to war and you get a brain injury and you come home and you do some bad stuff, I personally, and you may or may not agree with me, but I personally mm-hmm. believe that you should be treated somewhat differently than just the average person who didn't make that sacrifice. Because we as a country, we asked you to make that sacrifice. We did right. that to you. And so we need to give you some mitigation. You know, I understand. Right. We're not trying to excuse what you did. But, right. but we, we need to give you a little more understanding than the average person. I agree with you. In the end, I mean, whether you look from a microscopic standpoint of view or the grand scale, we live in a closed system. You cannot create order without creating disorder somewhere else. So whether Correct. it's a true traumatic brain injury or a PTSD kind of situation, I remember vividly, this is through my foster family in Papa Bluff, Missouri, when I first met them years ago. My foster father was involved with World War II. He was with Patton Third Army. And oh. I remember my eternal foster mom telling me when Ben left and then when he came back, he was never the same person. Obviously, he didn't have any traumatic brain injury, but you're talking about the PTSD. Of course, they never talked about all that back then. But I guess as a wife, you know a person intimately. Oh. And she said, Ben was never the same. And no, it was and like sad. Know- it was. And the point you make, by the way, there's some very important Supreme Court decisions that have come down. There was a Korean War veteran who, who uh, you know, was over, overrun and, you know, all kinds of tremendous PTSD times of experiences mm-hmm. when he was fighting mm-hmm. for us and came home and ended up uh, murdering his girlfriend and her boyfriend. And uh, mm-hmm. it, it was a very important Supreme Court decision because he was never the same. That didn't excuse what he did. He, what he did was right. terrible. But right. it was like Ben. I mean, there was... Uh, mm-hmm. There was an important change that occurred because of the service, and it needed to be understood to understand mm-hmm. why he did what he did and to give him some right. latitude for that. Right. Um, so right. our court system has our court system has looked at this uh, and and ruled on it, uh, and I'm sure that will continue to happen as we move forward in the future. Well, it's people like you that make the difference. So please tell us about the National Academy of Neuropsychology Foundation. Yes, the uh, National Academy of Neuropsychology Foundation, of course, is a not-for-profit organization that uh, is the not-for-profit arm of the National Academy of Neuropsychology. Foundation has as its mission the goal of educating public people worldwide about not only the effects of brain injury and brain damage, but brain health and how to prevent injuries, because obviously we'd much prefer that people never come to our attention than to have them come to our attention. And there are many ways, obviously, that we promote education so that people, you know, put on their seatbelts, put on their helmets, don't engage in behaviors where they're, you know, at a high risk to get a serious brain injury. Or if they do, at least they know that they're making that risk. Because a lot of people don't even understand how precious and vulnerable the brain is. And so Mm -hmm. they get injured not realizing maybe there were some steps they could have taken to prevent that injury. Uh, so, so the foundation really has this mission to educate uh, uh, us uh, people worldwide about these issues. And when I took over the chairmanship two years ago, uh, I decided that because of my work with the military that you and I had discussed, mm-hmm. I wanted to produce a book that would talk about brain injuries and that would, would target children of our military. Uh, and that would be an interesting read uh, for, for children and their parents. 
And so the foundation then took on the mission of producing this book, which we did with the help of um, a wonderful Disney artist uh, named Valerio Mazzoli and a, a wife of a, of a uh, active duty uh, serviceman who uh, is, uh, she, she lives in North Dakota, North Dakota. Her name is Brunella Cosololia. Her name is on the front of the book as is Mazzoli's. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we, we worked together then to put together this great story uh, that, uh, basically uh, helped us fulfill our mission to uh, educate families and children about brain injuries. The book is beautiful. It's very well done and it's very engaging. Very, very engaging. And I would Thank encourage you. people to go out and get it. And by the way, where can they get the book? Well, you know, right now, of course, if you are active duty military or a veteran and you've had a brain injury or a family member, you can reach out directly to me and we will get you a free copy. Uh, and they can reach out to me at my website, which is just my name, J-E-R-I-D-F-I-S-H-E-R, jaredfisher.com. Uh, and I will happily get them a copy. If you are not a veteran, but you support what we're doing, uh, you can go to any number of places to buy a copy. And last time I looked on Amazon, they had dropped the price to like $3 for a copy of wow. the book. Uh, so I know it's for sale on Amazon and on Barnes and Noble and even at Lulu, uh, dot com. Mm-hmm. But uh, if they buy a book, I want them to understand that all those proceeds go to underwriting the cost of giving books to the military. We at the foundation have spent lots of money to produce this book. Nobody takes a dime for salaries or expenses. Mm-hmm. All the money just goes to underwriting the cost of more books, which we've We've given away about a thousand copies now to uh, our service personnel, uh, and we actually have now five thousand followers on Facebook uh, for the book. So we've we've uh, you know we've been trying to get the word out, and thanks to you, Johnny. Hopefully, we'll get more more of the word out to people. Wonderful. People may not realize it. The men and women that are fighting the wars right now that we seem to have all over the place that never ends. Uh, I say this respectfully, tend to be a much younger generation. And yes. they do have families. They do. And yeah. the families are just as much, and this is true whether you're talking about a military brain injury or a civilian yeah. brain injury. What right. we don't understand is this is a silent epidemic, and it's been that way for so many years. The, when you have a brain injury, it doesn't just affect the person with the injury. It has the ripple effect of affecting everybody in that family. Because yeah. it's not like a paralysis or an amputation. The changes in thinking and behavior profoundly can change the way a whole family functions. And yet, as a mm-hmm. society, as you made the point earlier, we don't seem to make this the focus the way we do other illnesses or injuries. And I don't, mm-hmm. I've never understood that. You know, I, yeah. if, if you don't mind me just going off on a tangent for a no, moment. You no, know, no, please I, I do. On, I, <laughs> I, you know, I, I turn on the local news every night here in, in Rochester, New York, and I, mm-hmm. and I listen to the news every night. And without fail, traffic accident or a motorcycle accident, there's some kind of accident or, or a fall. And they talk about yeah. how, you know, one person was killed and three people were injured, as an example. And it's every night. And it's just, this is in my county. Now let's count up how many counties there are nationwide and multiply mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And when they say the person was injured, I think that the average person thinks, oh, okay, you know, they broke a bone. The bone's going to heal. They're going to be okay. Right. But what the average person doesn't realize is that a lot of times we're talking about people that have had brain injuries. Mm -hmm. And that isn't going to heal like a broken bone. So 
it's it's not it, it, it's kind of misleading when you hear, well, yeah, it's sad this person got killed. They're young, right. they were driving too fast, or they were intoxicated, but mm-hmm. or they were texting. But what about all the people that were injured? And if you multiply that times the number of counties that we have in the United States, there are this is an epidemic, and right. it's one that's happening. It's almost like it's happening, but no one seems to be fully aware of it. Right, right. But when it happens right. to you, when it happens to your family, then it changes everything. Mm-hmm. And yet, until it happens to you, and hopefully it never does. Right. But if it does, then you're then you're desperate for help and for guidance. Um, you know, I I had a woman this morning leave me a message about her her son, and she said, you know, I really I need to talk with you. I, uh, you know, my son is is getting in trouble with the law, and I don't understand this. I can't talk to anybody. I get phone calls like that all the time. Uh, where wow. people are just looking for some, 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 some morsels of knowledge. Right, right, right. So true. It's a shame. Coming back to the treatment and the cure and so forth, is there a permanent cure or is it more of a controlled cure? Yes, there is no cure for a severe brain injury. In fact, I think the word recovery that sometimes is used fosters the belief that somehow I am going to be the same person I was before right. I got injured. And I think that's misleading because if you've had a severe brain injury, you are probably not going to be the same person that you were before. You're going to be somebody else. And mm-hmm. we actually we actually wrote a play about this many years ago that we performed for James and Sarah Brady. You may recall uh, yes. Jim Brady mm-hmm. Jim Brady was uh, was uh, seriously wounded was in shot. his frontal lobe. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when Ronald Reagan when the assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan so we performed this play for the Bradys and 700 other people. And the play was called Goodbye Me, Hello Me. And, mm-hmm. and the, the, the idea in the play was that this person, the character in the play, a woman, that she was never the same person again. And until she embraced those changes and understood that she had a new resume, she wasn't going to ever be happy because she was always going to be saying, well, I used to be like this and I used to do that and I can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. So going back to your question about recovery, we thought it was important to educate people that you don't recover. You may make many gains and you may, you know, come back a long ways, but you're probably not after a very severe injury going to be the person you were before. And so we have to find ways to make, to adopt to that, to, to, you know, to, uh, to, to make changes and to find other mm-hmm. ways to do things that we mm-hmm. used to do that we no longer can do as we used to. You know, of course, there are, medi- there are medications now, and there's therapies, and there's a variety of things right. you can do to assist you. Right, right. Very interesting. Well, the brain is such a complex organ. It just dawned on me, like, say, that certain things, yes, you can build new neural pathways, but yes. in certain situations like this, you just can't. There's no building of new neural pathways for certain behavior tendencies. <laughs> No, you're right, and it brings up all kinds of interesting questions, perhaps some we, we won't talk about today, but uh, sure. even in the minds of juries. I mean, if, if someone's committed a serious uh, criminal act because of a brain injury, uh, will, you, will you hold that against them in terms of thinking about whether you should find them less guilty of a crime because you're mm-hmm. afraid they're going to do it again? Right. So your point is well taken. These are issues that are, are very vexing to the society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So true. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available <laughs> on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. 
My guest is Dr. Jared Fisher. He's a forensic neuropsychologist and the chairman of the National Academy of Neuropsychology Foundation. He's currently spearheading a project to educate families about traumatic brain injuries often suffered by active duty military. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Dr. Fisher, the beautiful book talked about the seven C's, and obviously the book is also tailored to kids within the ages of 8 to 12. Please tell us about the seven C's. Yes. Uh, the, the, what we wanted to do in the book, Johnny, is that, you know, it's a story about uh, a man who goes off to war. And, you know, there are many colorful illustrations, as you said, where, he, mm-hmm. where you see him get injured in the service. And, and, in fact, let me just step back for a moment. You talked about how you saw the traditional family before he goes off and the family's mm-hmm. having a good time together and the ch- there's two children in the story. And so to get to, to your question, when he comes back with this brain injury, Dr. Carpenter, the female neuropsychologist in the story, she she has Mr. Brain. So we made a character that was kind of a, a fun character, the human brain, that we call Mr. Brain. And Mr. Brain then teaches the children about ways they can cope with their father's brain injury. And so what we what we used for a coping idea was this something called the Seven Cs, which actually was developed by another nonprofit organization known as the Moyer Foundation. Karen Moyer was very generous in allowing us to use this idea. And the seven C's basically were intended to empower the children who were feeling guilty and upset about the changes in their dad's behavior because of his brain injury. And so Mm -hmm. the seven C's are, uh, uh, I didn't cause it. I can't control it. I can't cure it. So those are the first three. However, I can take care of myself by communicating my feelings by making good choices and by celebrating myself. So those are the seven C's and they're really meant to help the children find some ways to cope with situations where before there've been no tools except to feel bad. So we wanted to empower the children and help them understand that if they can make good choices for themselves, they then can actually help their mom or dad who's been injured to make more progress as well. Uh, so sure. that, that really was the idea behind the seven C's. And as I said, when you, when you look at the book, you see we yeah. have the whimsical character, Mr. Brain, uh, with, with his hat on teaching the children about the seven C's. Yes, it's beautiful. And what it does also, <laughs> it becomes a team effort now. That's important because when you're in the military, actually you are a team. So when you come home, the family becomes your team here, and it's a we thing rather than you're on the other side of the aisle and I'm on this side of the aisle, so to speak. Yes, very well, well, well point. That's a great point, and it is, in fact, always it's the family. And I've found over the years mm-hmm. in working with people with brain injuries that when you have a whole family involved, it makes right. such a difference in the person's ability to come back from where they, mm-hmm. where they are when they're first injured. So family, sure. family love, family support. It's so critical in any illness, but particularly right. uh, I've, I've seen that with brain injuries. Very, very interesting. How has the program been received by the military community? Uh, I know that the Blue Star Families, uh, which is mm-hmm. a, a group that represents the families, they have uh, very much appreciated the book, and I think they've, they've distributed hundreds of copies. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really sure because we've sent copies all over the United States, to various people that have reached out to us. And 
I haven't yeah. had a lot of feedback from people because, you know, I think we True. live in this world now where everybody's so busy that if you don't talk about it, if you don't, if we don't talk today, maybe you forget to call me. So I don't yeah. really know how it's been received. I'd like to believe, but from the number of wonderful comments we've had on our Facebook page and for the right. great reviews on Amazon, um, yeah. you know, a lot of people have written nice things about the book. So I, I can't imagine that we, we haven't, that we, that only good could have come out of this book. Uh, and that, uh, those that it has touched, hopefully, you know, even if we've made a difference in only a few families, I'd like to think mm-hmm. we touch more, but even a few, you know, that's, um, you know, it's like mother Teresa said, the best exercise of the heart is to reach down and reach and, and lift others that are less fortunate up. And right, I like to think that right. we've accomplished that goal with this book. Right. Right. So true. Well, not only that, all it takes is that ripple effect. This is a marathon. This is not a sprint. Yes. Well said. This is a marathon. Yeah. So I think the longer as it goes out there, it's available, and the more people talk about it, it's going to be contagious. I want to believe that because, you know, again, our our agenda here is just to help people, uh, and Mm -hmm. uh, we want to get this book into the hands of the people that will benefit from it the most. So I hope that Mm -hmm. with your listeners, if they if they know other ways that we can help promote this or, or get the word out, uh, mm-hmm. please just let me know. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Are there any other efforts constructed to help the children and the families at this time? Uh, I you know on behalf of the foundation, we don't have any other efforts at the moment. But I do know that uh, obviously we're not alone in, in yeah. uh, our. There are certainly veterans groups. And uh, there are many, you know, the uh, Wounded Warriors Project. There are a lot of other groups that are doing great, great work as well. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you, you know, I, I think that in the end, it'll be the accumulation of, of all these efforts. Uh, because I think there's so many people that love our military and who, uh, you know, want to give back to them because they've made such sacrifices for the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So true. I know you mentioned about how we listeners can help. What other areas of opportunity you think that we can be able to plug in, I guess, for lack of a better term? Well, again, if, if your listeners, uh, you know, of course, buying copies of the book was wonderful because that helps defray the cost to us. But uh, mm-hmm. I really, uh, I'm just eager, you know, this is a new learning experience for me as much as I know about the brain and about military brain injuries. I right. know a lot about promoting it. So, you know, we're always open if people know of other venues or other ways that we can get the word out. I, mm-hmm. I hope they won't be bashful and that they will reach out to me and let me know. Wonderful. That's true. So true. I know we talked about this a little bit before, but let's mention it right now. Where can someone go to buy the book, get more information about you and the wonderful projects? Super. Thanks for asking. Of course, they can buy the book on Amazon.com or uh, they can go to Barnes & Noble uh, so they're, they're, or Lulu, L-U-L-U.com, all places they can buy the book. Uh, if they want a copy of the book because they are service-related, they can reach out mm-hmm. to me at my website, which is my name, Jared Fisher, J-E-R-I-D-F-I-S-H-E-R.com. Go to my website and just uh, you know contact me through my page. Uh, those are all ways. Uh, to either buy or get a copy of the book, and we encourage your listeners to uh, to reach out to us. Fantastic. I know you mentioned about the Blue Star families. Can you tell us a little bit more about them and what they do and, and so forth? Yes, well, the Blue Star families are uh, military uh, families that 
uh, have a huge organization uh, and are doing wonderful work nationwide in supporting families uh, of our veterans. They hold all kinds of activities. Uh, in fact, I mean, as an example, they wanted uh, hundreds of copies of our book to distribute to family members. Mm-hmm. Uh, so while I, I've, I've only known them through my, my contacts uh, through phone and email, from what I've seen, and, and, and anybody who's interested in Blue Stars can just uh, Google Blue Star Families and see all that they're doing. They're, they're a wonderful organization doing great work on behalf of our military, and I know are making a difference in, in families uh, nationwide. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be a military family, right, to get involved and volunteer and to pitch in, so to speak? No, actually, I mean, I'm a perfect example of that. I, I am not a military family, but I obviously spend a lot of time uh, in my, you know, my, my uh, giving away my time to our military. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you do not have to be military to, to reach out and help the military. Uh, you know, I know that there, there are lots of great people out there who have not served in the armed forces that could help in one way or the other to, uh, to, to make the lives of our, our service people better. So true. That's wonderful. Coming back to brain injury, I know there's a lot of studies now. We talk a little bit about this, about the PTSD and the traumatic brain injury. I guess PTSD is more from the psychological side. And then the actual brain injury itself is the physical side of the equation. At some point in time, are they interrelated in some ways? Yes, they are. I mean, particularly in our service personnel. You know, you think about a personnel, mm-hmm. a service, a man or woman who, say, is, is injured by a roadside device that blows up. So they have a blast injury, potentially. And then they, you know, they may have, uh, may lose a limb or they may see a fellow service person, you know, severely or mortally wounded. And then they develop post-traumatic stress disorder. So there's a lot of overlap in, in our military personnel who have been in active combat. Often mm-hmm. you will see both post-traumatic stress symptoms and brain injury symptoms. And part of the job of any good neuropsychologist is to sort out, uh, because obviously the treatment for those two problems is different. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, as I always say to people, if you don't do a good diagnostic workup, you can't do good treatment. You know, you wouldn't come in with a broken bone and put a cast on before you do an x-ray. And so right. the same is true for neuropsychology. You've got to get a good neuropsychological psychological workup to diagnose is this PTSD, is this brain injury, is it a blend of the two, you need to do that before you then embark on trying to treat the symptoms of that disorder. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, mm-hmm. the treatments you use probably will not be effective. How has the families that are involved with the one of the parents being affected by the traumatic brain injury, are there any sort of a record or data that can show you that these families are adjusting and statistically things are getting better? You know, that's a good question. And if there's something out there, I'm not aware of it. I, I am a firm believer in the idea that knowledge is power. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I've seen most in my many years of working, not just with military families, but families in general, is that when yeah. you don't understand something, you're able to overcome it, you aren't able to cope with it. So I've always believed that teaching people and educating people about the effects of brain injuries puts them further down the field than if they are just wondering, well, why is he doing that? Or why did she say that? Or, right. you know, and so I think that uh, there probably are studies. I'm just not familiar with them, but mm-hmm. clearly 
uh, empowering people to understand why problems are occurring takes away that big question mark and that mystery yeah. about why has this happened? Um, so right. I do believe that, that knowledge is power. We need to educate. That's why we wrote this book. Because we want, we want to make people aware of, you know, it's not your fault. Understand it so mm-hmm. that you can, you can help mom or dad better cope with these changes yeah. that are affecting the whole family system. Well, what I like about what you guys are doing in this particular case, coming back to the baseline concept, because there is a baseline there. From a John Q. public, sometimes it gets old and it gets overused to whereby no one is taking ownership of their actions. And we are so desperate in saying, come on now, let's get over it and own up to it. Couldn't agree with you more that, you know, in some ways we become a blame society, not taking responsibility And I'm firmly with you. I mean, I, I think that we do need to take responsibility, and we need more of that in our society. Where we need to to give um, some permission is, you know, when we have uh, a, a situation where a brain injury has produced a real change in the right. person's ability to control certain impulses. Because, you know, what the law says, for instance, that you're, you're, you're culpable uh, only if you can't conform your behaviors to the law. Well, some people make the decision to not do that. But what happens if you don't have the cognitive ability to conform your behavior to the law? What happens if you would behave in a certain way, even if a policeman was standing at your elbow? Right. If that's the case, we, we, we owe it not to say you're not guilty or not responsible, but to treat you differently. And no, yeah, by mm-hmm. the way, I mean, while we're talking about that, to also, if you're going to be incarcerated, to make sure that you're incarcerated in a place where the role models you encounter aren't going to make it worse. Yeah. Those are all yeah. issues that we have to address. Right. I agree with that because I am a believer in, I'm talking about myself here, it's very interesting whereby I say, if you are pissed off at me, I want you to be pissed off at me for the right reason, not for the wrong reason. <laughs> uh, I agree. Yeah, you know, and I'll take ownership for everything that I do, but if some things that I'm not aware of that is just sort of one of those things, and I want to look into it as much as I can. Well, so I agree with yeah, you. Johnny, and if you're, yeah, Johnny, if you're like your friend that had the brain tumor and suddenly yeah. you start becoming pissed off and irritable and even rageful, really you, we need yeah. to understand yeah. that because in the, in the course of your behaving that way, you might do something that's really out of character, might even get in trouble, right? I mean, you might yeah. do something yeah. that, that then you're in trouble with the law. Should I punish you the same way as if you didn't have a brain tumor? Right, right, right. So true. So what's next for you? Well, for me, uh, I uh, will just continue. I don't, I, you know, I'm, I'm, of course, very much involved in my career as a, as a forensic diagnostic neuropsychologist. And it, each day is an interesting adventure for me. I never know who's <laughs> going to call or what the phone's going to bring. Uh, for me, in terms of uh, additional projects, I, I'm not sure. I will continue to help the military any way I can. And, mm-hmm. I, and I sort of, as much as I'm a guy who likes to sort of make choices, uh, I, I continue to want to see where this book goes. And, you know, if, mm-hmm. if, uh, if another organization reaches out to me and asks me to use my expertise to help in some way, to help the military, uh, mm-hmm. I'm there. So I'm not really sure what's next, but uh, that's part of the excitement. You, you just never know, you know, what, what tomorrow is going to bring. That's true. So true. Well, the good news is, like I said again, You've got the ball rolling, and this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. The longer it's out there, the ripple effect will sort of kick in, so to speak. 
Well, you know, talking with you about it today, it's been great because you really offered me some insights and you're so knowledgeable. Uh, so, you know, just hearing your thoughts on it, uh, I always, I, I'm learning something today and, uh, you know, your, your, your thoughtful analysis of what we're doing and of the field uh, mm-hmm. is, is, uh, is inspirational to me. And uh, yeah, we've got the ball rolling. Let's see where it goes. Fantastic. By the way, we're coming close to the end of the hour. Since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? Well, my, my recipe for living, of course, is the one that my dad taught me a long time ago, and, and I, I didn't fully understand at the time what he was telling me, but it's worked for me, which is just to pursue your passions and do what you love. And if you do that, because this is not the dress rehearsal, this is it, as far as, as, far as I know, do what you love, pursue your passions, do good things for other people, uh, you know, give more than you take. Uh, and in the end, uh, you'll, you'll find that you've, you've lived a, a life uh, where, you know, you've made yourself a monument, where you've made a difference in other people's lives. I just can't say enough, doing a lot of work for charity and giving, giving up my time, I, I, I just mm-hmm. feel so much better when I give things to people as opposed to when I just take them. I mean, there's all there's nothing wrong with making money and, 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 and earning a living, but it's also equally important to give back to your fellow man and woman. Dr. Fisher, that's fantastic. All you have done, and I've seen your curriculum vitae. I mean, you are truly leaving a legacy of love behind. Thank you, Johnny. You know, I, I, I remember the movie It's a Wonderful Life uh, with, with Jimmy Stewart. I, I think we should all hope that we live the kind of life that he lived in that movie, uh, you know, where we really made a difference in other people's mm-hmm. lives. And when we're no longer here, still the legacy that we've left behind that we did make a difference. Yes, so true. Well, Dr. Fisher, thank you for the great recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Tuesday morning, March 20th. My guest will be Dr. Barrett Brogart. She is a professor of philosophy with joint appointments in the departments of philosophy and psychology at the University of Miami, as well as Network for Sensory Research at the University of Toronto. Dr. Barrett and I will be having a conversation about her life's journey and her innovative look at a universal topic behind heartbreak, obsession, jealousy, and attachment from her latest book on romantic love, Simple Truth about a complex emotion. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. Dr. Fisher, it has been a true pleasure, sir. Thank you again and have a blessed day. You too, Johnny. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yourselfers are looking for the right tool for the job. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts Power Torque Tools DIY Day Sale. You'll find a wide selection of Power Torque Tools on sale now and guaranteed for life. Power Torque Tools DIY Day Sale going on now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supply. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Introducing McDonald's new one, two, three dollar menu with favorites for one, two, or three dollars. 
like the McChicken, the Bacon McDouble, the Happy Meal, and... A weekend getaway with the husband and kids? Uh, no. But the one, two, three dollar menu could help you save for one. Especially if we leave the kids at home. With grandma, of course. Oh, yeah. Build whatever meal you want with favorites on McDonald's new one, two, three dollar menu. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal.